make it a double, I can take it another, get so hard to chase it, live up to, yeah, it slides away when you're running, like my Uncle David, who never lived to escape it, the trouble you were about to cave in, give up to talking in your basement, we All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Not That Great Podcast. I'm Al Brown, flying solo this evening. I'm going to be talking about the NBA recap from the bubble. So the restart of the NBA season has, in my opinion, gone way better than expected. Um, We've had incredible games, albeit some sloppy ones, but... Super competitive, exciting basketball. You know, a a huge part of this is that most of the terrible teams aren't there. So we don't have to worry about, you know, Cleveland or Chicago rolling out there and wasting everyone's time. Um, The virtual fan thing, I thought was a little wonky at first, but they tweaked it a little bit. And I think it's gotten a lot. It's growing on me, I guess. But one of my major takeaways that I really like about the bubble thus far is the amount of space on the sidelines. I've always thought that it was stupid and kind of dangerous to have people so close to the court, whether it's a a cameraman under the basket for Dennis Rodman to kick in the junk or some rich dickhead who thinks he's entitled to say some racist shit to Russell Westbrook because he paid for those seats or an investor for the Warriors shoving Kyle Lowry during an NBA Finals because that's how successful grown-ups are supposed to act, right? I love that there's no one near them, and I'd imagine a lot of the players like it too. Um, having to constantly calculate a jump so that you don't land on a guy with a giant TV camera or the child of your agent must always be in the back of their mind. And now that there's no one there, you can really see some of these guys attacking the rim, just balls first. Like John Morant dunked so violently in one of the first games back that when he swung off of the rim, the momentum, his body went completely parallel to the court nearly face planting and I'm here for it. I'm super here for it. I want some serious NBA jam boom shakalaka moments. You know what I'm saying? Like even Daniel Tice last night yammed one down, which was hilarious because the dunk clearly took even him by surprise. Like you could see him backpedaling, getting back on defense. Like I had no idea I could jump like that. I mean, I'm German for fuck's sake, (laughs) but yeah. So empty sidelines, two thumbs up for me. Um, but now to get into some games, one of the most recent ones that we had was Houston, Portland. So Portland is a sneaky team, but Lillard came out of the gates pretty cold, but then started looking like his normal self in the the second half, ended up with 21 points. Gary Trent Jr. Like, holy moly. He's been amazing off of the bench for Portland. And I think that going forward, he could be an enormous X factor for them. And, you know, by the way, he's averaging an eye-popping 60% from three-point land. I mean, that's not entirely sustainable, but still, like, wow, if your bench guy can produce this way, that's, that's pretty good. So Portland really needed this win after a loss to the Celtics, and they got it. And now... They are only a game and a half back from Memphis in this incredibly, 
incredibly entertaining battle for the eighth seed in the West. As for the Rockets in this game, they had been on a roll. And after Harden and uh, Westbrook had combined for first 80 points in their first game back, and I think it was like over 50 points in their second game, um, they struggled a little bit. Um, It was very clear that the Blazers' strategy to like basically slow down or contain James Harden was to continually trap him at half court in order to get the ball out of his hands. And it was successful um, to a certain degree. I mean, the beard still got – 23, six and nine, but he wasn't the same kind of like offensive force that we're used to seeing. Jeff green showed up. Holy crap. Formerly known as the most frustrating Celtic ever. He drained five, three pointers and got 22 points. But in typical Jeff green fashion, his performance was absolutely meaningless as it did not translate to a victory. And I had bet green doesn't crack 20 points the rest of his time in the bubble. But the best part of this game, the thing that really added like a a kind of a theatrical element to it, former Houston Rocket castaway Carmelo Anthony drilling an incredible clutch three to ice the game. Mike D'Antoni must have felt a certain type of way with that one. (laughs) And Melo had a nice little game there, man. Double-double, 15 and 11, plus two steals and a block. That's solid. It's very Solid. And Portland, I mean, I had touched on it a little bit in the last one that Camille and I had done together um, last episode. But Portland could sneak in here, man. Like Memphis is a young, inexperienced team, and it shows, you know, going 0-3 to start off. And it doesn't help that their star player is having a massive shooting slump. Uh, he's still flying around and dunking, but he was shooting 36% from three-point range before quarantine and I think he's only made one or maybe two threes in the three games Memphis has played in the bubble that's a little alarming so uh, you know hypothetical here if they go one and four or even oh and five I don't know how this I think Utah yeah so if they go one and four and oh and five over the next five games which is very possible because those five games are Utah OKC Toronto Boston, Milwaukee, woof. Memphis could find itself out of the bubble and not even be contending for the play-in spot in the eighth seed. Because, you know, you look at a team like Portland and the roster, the just the construct of it, the team that they have, it, they have the makings of a Western Conference final team. And if they go four and one, they might. They weren't favored to win in that Houston game, but they did it despite a shaky Dame performance and the next four games again for for Portland the next games for them are Denver which is winnable Clippers probably a loss Philly winnable but only because Philly has been like the Forrest Gump box of chocolates more on them later Dallas winnable and Brooklyn very winnable so watch out for Rip City because they could totally make some noise here in the next couple of games so what about new orleans well something is wrong with zion clearly um one of the questions my colleagues asked me was just is he just fat and i don't think that's necessarily it i mean he's clearly not in game shape and he can't stay on the court even when even with his his minutes restrictions um he's not fully back 
and they are going to have to play with kid gloves. And I think that how Philly treated Joel Embiid is kind of like the blueprint for what they should be doing. And they shouldn't be forcing the issue with Zion because it, it is somewhat meaningless. Um, but I think part of that is some of the hype that they received. Uh, I think way too many people thought that this Pelicans team was going to be like at its very apex of its potential in the restart. And they're just not there yet. And I mean, Alvin Drentry is, is an okay coach, but I don't think we've seen anything from him that makes you think coach of the year candidate, let alone someone who's going to bring a group of kids and JJ Reddick to the promised land, like some fucking Disney movie. But the Pelicans aren't totally out of it just yet. Um, they've got probably one of, if not the easiest remaining schedules. But you can see them dropping a game to either the Magic or the Kings and it not, not being much of a surprise. So that's the New Orleans take. Moving on, just and I'm really just doing an honorable mention for these guys because it's just, it's been kind of interesting to watch San Antonio. I don't even recognize this team. They're playing so fast. One of the top teams in pace, which is not a normal stat for a pop led team. I think DeRozan is third in assists since the restart, but he's starting at the four. So he's playing power forward. It's so odd how one little piece can just drastically change so much. But now that there's no LaMarcus Aldridge there slowing them down, this is a much more entertaining version of the Spurs. This kind of speedy guard-driven offense. They're zipping around. And um, it won't translate to a deep playoff run or really any sort of success. But they've been a hell of a lot more fun to watch. You know, um, so moving on to our aforementioned uh, Philadelphia 76ers. You never know what you're going to get. TJ Warren on the Pacers turned into Allen Iverson and dropped 55,000 points against them. And then they have this weird up and down game that they barely win against San Antonio. They had a 14 point lead and then they lost the lead and they got the lead back and they're just bizarre. So the rest of their schedule is Washington winnable, Orlando winnable, Portland, maybe Phoenix. Yup. Probably a win Toronto loss just based off of how hot the Raptors have been shocking considering they're the defending champions and no one's given them any credit. Um, the thing about Philly that is just so odd to me and so perplexing is how bad they are at defense. You have Ben Simmons who can guard one through five easy speed, length, size. He's got it. He can lock down nearly any position. Richardson, most certainly an above average defender. Thibel, probably the best defensive rookie I've ever seen. Embiid, just based off of his size and post presence alone, is a problem. Horford, who's older, but technically solid with excellent help defense. And yet, they're still this bad. And 
I'm listening to some of the NBA talking heads saying shit like, well, they don't have that Jimmy Butler guy to yell at them anymore, which is an actual take from someone who makes a lot more money than me and is supposed to be an actual fucking sports journalist, but who will remain nameless. Or some fucking nerd from the worldwide leader saying, well, it's the way this team is constructed. They've just got so many bigger guys and not enough guards. Okay. But that was their game plan, wasn't it? Going into the beginning of this season to have huge long bodies out there to disrupt teams defensively. That seemed pretty intentional, but now that it isn't working, we're going to make excuses for them. Okay, so here's the deal. I know what the problem is. We all do. Jimmy Butler did. That's why he got the fuck out of there. But for some reason, the air quotes journalists like saying everything other the, under the sun other than the simple truth, Brett Brown is a bad coach. And you know what, Philly? I hope he stays with you forever. <laughs> now, <clears throat> moving on, <clears throat> my tone is probably going to be changing real quickly because the next thing I'm going to be recapping is the Celtics-Miami Heat game from last night. Woof. Now, I'd like to praise the Heat first. Eric Spolstra. Hell of a coach. Pat Riley, running an incredible program. Their drafting over the past couple of seasons has been excellent. Bam Adebayo, one of my new favorites. Um, Robinson, Nunn, Hero, they've been great. The decision to have Jay Crowder start at the four, move away from Myers Leonard, totally paying off. And then you have Goran freaking Dragic coming off the bench. And oh, by the way, Jimmy Butler is out with an ankle injury. Miami is a really, really good team. I like Miami. I never thought I'd say that, but I like that team. Having said all of that, the fucking Celtics blew that game so hard completely flat out of the gates three-point shooting non-existent i believe in the first half three-point percentage for the celtics was somewhere in the low 20s meanwhile miami was shooting threes at about a 40 percent clip so yeah math so yet another slow start to the celtics which is also what happened to them against milwaukee now one of the things that is so incredibly frustrating about this game in particular is how Miami's zone defense caused so many problems for the Celtics. Now, any person with a scouting report in the NBA will tell you that Miami plays a lot of zone, probably more than any other team in the bubble. Brad Stevens has to know this. And why? It's because they've already struggled against this specific defense in the past. But for some reason, they seem to have no idea that the Heat were going to play them this way and looked fucking lost. Kind of especially in like the second and fourth quarter, if I'm remembering correctly. But I'm, I might be off on that. Now, eventually, Jalen, Jalen Brown and Gordon... Gordon Hayward, 
started attacking the basket and basically trying to exploit and expose some of the gaps in the zone. But why did it take so long for them to come to that conclusion? That was incredibly puzzling for me. You know, and another issue was a huge issue was ball movement. I have never seen the Celtics look like a bunch of fucking statues before. The Celtics had more turnovers, 16, 16 turnovers, than assists, 15. 15 total assists. That, that, that is not the Celtics team that I am accustomed to watching. I am used to movement. I am used to the extra pass. I am used to competent shooting. What I am not used to is I'm watching guys taking tested pull-up jumpers early in the clock from 22 feet away like fucking Terry Rozier is still on the team, and I'm sitting there like, what the hell, man? Miami shooters are zipping around the floor like the fucking X-Men and getting to their spots seemingly at will. And if that didn't work, they just had Dragic in a pick and roll and he burned us for 20 points. And another thing, why the fuck are you doubling Kelly Olenek in the post? You don't need to double him in the post. You know who he is. Celtics, you drafted him. You know what his limitations are. Have you ever seen him play? I know you have. I did. He's not doing damage in the post. He's not Kevin McHale. The worst he's going to do is just try his poor man's Dirk post fadeaway and then clank it off of the front of the fucking rim. But when you're doubling him, you open up one of his skills as a big man, which is passing to a wide open shooter behind the arc. Pretty sure old Kelly Olenek had eight assists for that exact fucking reason. And another thing, why the hell is Semi Ojale getting that many minutes? What is going on here? Like, he's fine. He's a big body. He's solid. But you have him jacking up threes and, and, and playing defense but not trusting him on defense. So then you're doubling. Ke- and none of it made sense. None of it made sense. It, I tell you what, it made me miss Jay Crowder a lot seeing Semi Ojale out there because Crowder is just a better version of that. He's a three and D guy. And oh, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, Jay Crowder hit quite a few corner threes in that game. Also playing solid defense. Celtics were flat on both sides of the ball. They looked lethargic on defense, confused on offense, and they better get this shit together quickly because they could have easily basically locked the three seed in. They've clinched playoffs, obviously, but they could have locked up the three seed and put themselves in a good position to maybe face, I I don't know, um, um, Orlando, we'll just say. But now they've put themselves in 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 a relatively good position, but now they might be facing the box of chocolate Sixers in the first round who, despite the aforementioned clusterfuck that they are, have given the Celtics serious problems this season. God damn it. All right. So there's that. So now I'm going to go on to 
somewhat of it's a, it's a somewhat touchy subject. So I'm going to be talking about Jonathan Isaac. Um, for those of you who don't know, Jonathan Isaac plays forward for the Orlando Magic. And on Sunday, he tore his ACL playing against the Sacramento Kings. Now, why does this matter? He's not a star. And ACL tears do happen in basketball with somewhat you know, somewhat frequently. Now, the reason this has been such a story is that he was the first to stand during the national anthem as far as a African-American athlete. And he did not wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. When asked about this, about his reasoning, he gave a somewhat poorly worded answer but basically cited religious beliefs and that's why he stood that's why he didn't wear the black lives matter shirt okay religious freedom i get it probably should have rehearsed the answer a little better but if the guy wants to stand feels that he should stand i'm fine with it he has the freedom to choose so now the injury happens, and it is a somewhat gruesome non-contact injury. He jumps up with both feet, lands on both feet. One of those legs buckles. The same leg, the same knee that he injured back in January. Also, it was an ACL. He rehabbed, worked really hard to get back and to play in the restart in the bubble. He crumples to the floor, clearly in a lot of pain. And now various social media sites, namely Twitter, because of course, begin making jokes at his expense. Things like, uh, he didn't want to take a knee, so God took his knee kind of shit. And although I can see how how people can find ironic humor in this. I got to ask the audience, what have we become? Have we always been so heartless? Why is it when a professional athlete goes down, there's a whole group of people that take a unique amount of pleasure in it? practically bathing themselves in it. Is it just envy? We envy the talent, the skill, the athleticism. We secretly wish that God had bestowed these blessings onto us instead of this guy or that guy or whoever. Is that why we, when we see these giants topple, we rejoice? We celebrate their pain? We make jokes at the expense of a young man who will more than likely never reach the potential he once had. An excellent athlete with a lot of promise, length, great defensive instincts, who by every account is loved and supported by his teammates 
we mock him though. Because Karma's a bitch, right? We mock him because he said the quote, and I'm I'm cleaning it up a little bit because there's a lot of like repetition and stuff, but effectively one of his quotes was I felt like just me personally, I do believe that Black Lives Matter. But I just felt like it was a decision that I had to make. And I didn't feel like putting that shirt on and kneeling went hand in hand with supporting black lives. I believe that for myself, my life has been supported by the gospel, Jesus Christ, and everyone is made in the image of God and that we will all forge through God's glory. Okay. So the line that sticks out to me, and I don't know if this stuck out to any of you when I just read this. I didn't feel like putting that shirt on and kneeling went hand in hand with supporting black lives. Now, I don't know if this is exactly how he meant it. And I, of course, have to proceed with caution because I am myself a white man and I don't know what the African-American experience has been, what it's like, the complicated feelings that must be going on, not just in this current climate that we're living in, but for centuries beforehand. I will never understand it. I will only listen. However, can we really fault this young man for seeing the NBA's handling of this to be more akin to a corporate branding than an act of social justice? Because don't get it twisted. I mean, the NBA has been probably the most progressive of the major sports. I, yeah, the most progressive of the major sports. But they are a corporation. And the association had multiple chances to do a lot more, a lot sooner. And I can't really fault a young man for having the moment of clarity saying, what good is wearing a t-shirt or kneeling going to do? Is that going to create change? I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. I wish Jonathan Isaac the absolute best. I hope he has a speedy recovery. I hope he's able to come back next season, whenever that might be. And I hope he balls out. I really do. And I, I could be way off base here. I could be misinterpreting what he said, but I, I, I kind of don't think that I am. So these are just some things to think about. Um, trying not to end on such a somber note. <laughs> but uh, I'm really excited for basketball to be back. I'm going to be watching a lot of it tonight. I know there's, there's games on now. Um, I've honestly missed a couple of them uh, today, just trying to get some of these thoughts down um but i appreciate you guys listening once again 
I'm Al Brown. This is the Not That Great Podcast. Thank you again for listening, ladies and gentlemen. And I will talk to you next time. Be safe.